So we've had a day in the woods. We've had 24 hours in the woods, more or less. And um, some beautiful serenading from the robins and the, all the songbirds, some of which I know, some I don't know. And uh, been graced by the wind and breeze and sunlight and beauty and animals and Beautiful place to be, beautiful place to meditate, beautiful place to bring awareness. Somebody left a note for me at some point this year after retreat saying, you spoiled me, I won't be able to meditate indoors anymore. I won't be able to go on retreat indoors anymore. We can go indoors on retreats, fine, you know, but or both are good, both have their value in place, right? I'm sure many of you have had lovely retreats sitting in that hall or Spirit Rock or whatever your favorite Dharma center is, as have I. Um, someone else said also this year, why did it take me so long to figure out I could meditate outside? <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? That it's so natural to sit outside. It's so natural to be aware, and be mindful. Right? It's, it happens by itself. And um, yeah, for me, the, the two are always very connected. I, even though I learned meditation in London, Eastland London, it was very run down, very urban, very gritty. But I immediately made me want to be, go out into nature and, and be in the parks and um, and then when coming to the states where the, the nature of the wilderness is so wild and vast and beautiful, it's like there was just a pull to meditate, to retreat, to go backpacking, to do solo retreats outside. Cause it just, it's just so natural. And it's, it's like inviting us to be present, alluring us into the present. And so, so as I was saying yesterday, we're joining this long tradition of people, you know, different cultures around the world, different Buddhist cultures. In India, they go to the forest. In the Thailand, they go to the forest in the Thai forest tradition. In China, Japan, to the mountains, to the hermitages. In Tibet, to the mountains, the caves. And there's a long history of people and um, yogis and teachers taking refuge, taking solace, taking inspiration, you know, in their poetry and their teaching with Milarepa and Shapkar and the Buddha and the Chan poets and the Zen poets and writers. It's so much in nature infused their understanding. Like Dogen, the founder of Zoto Zen, his famous Mountains and Rivers Sutta. And so maybe that makes more sense today as you're sitting here, as you're walking, as you're just abiding in presence, seeing how, how naturally awareness comes to the foreground, how mindfulness becomes more accessible, more available. You just have to walk anywhere. Just walk down the lane, walk on a path, walk along the river, sit under a tree, gaze up at the clouds, and there's just there's a natural presence, natural awareness. An embodied presence. It's a full visceral experience. It's not a mental idea. It's like we're here knowing through the body, through the senses. And I'm thinking about Buddha Dasa and the, the Thai forest tradition and how they, you know, he particularly, you know, would speak about going into nature to discover your own nature. Let nature reveal your own nature. 
nature reveal the Dharma, let nature reveal your nature. And so we get to see what, what, what is nature revealing about our own nature here. It's an interesting question or inquiry to hold for the retreat. What, how is nature revealing my own nature? What does nature reveal or reflect back? You know, no, no, nature is very multifaceted, multi-layered, dimensional. Maybe the the first reflection back is, oh, you're a jittery, nervous, restless, distracted wreck. <laughs> you know, coming from us, busy lives, and we're kind of, you know, just like the ant nest I disturbed, extremely restless, you know, angsty, angsty, antsy. But it also speaks to us of uh, other dimensions of our nature, which we'll speak to through the days, and that we have not just that surface layer, you know, the, the three days leap deep layer, but we have much more quieter, still, profound dimensions, boundless dimensions. And so, like I said yesterday about coming home, you know, it's coming home because we, 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 we lose touch with that depth and the stillness and the silence of our own being. And we come outdoors and we quite easily connect with, with layers or facets of that. Quite surprisingly sometimes how quickly we can drop into stillness or presence or connection or awe or beauty or wonder. The Robins are giving most of the Dharma talk tonight. Interesting how simple things get when we're outside. You know, sometimes our lives can feel so complex and so convoluted and so messy. And, and we come out here and it's just, I don't know, it just feels simpler. Less convoluted. Our needs get very simple. A little warmth, a little food. say after a teaching, he would say, you know, go to the root of a tree, sit at the root of a tree, establish mindfulness there in front of you. Sit at the root of trees lest you regret it, regret it later. So I hope that you spend many an hour idling away, sitting at the root of a tree. Right? There's something there's a good reason why he said that. Right? There's, there's, there's presence and power in trees. And we can feel that when we're quiet, when we slow down enough. It's like, oh, right, this being has been standing here for some of these, like the Buddha tree, for seven or eight centuries. That's a lot of presence. It's a lot of life force. It's a lot of knowing, a lot of wisdom patience and tenacity. And you may 
go up to certain trees and you may ask them if they're open to conversation. What do you have to share today, O oh, Ponderosa being, O oh, Douglas fir, O oh, Aspen shimmering grove? Maybe a silent transmission, mostly. Sometimes it comes through words or imagery or felt sense and a heart so in the Dharma teachings you know the, the sort of the one of the primary vehicles is the four foundations of mindfulness right how do we establish cultivate dwell abide in awareness and primary one being the body and we've been seeing today how nature how being in nature how that that foundation of mindfulness of the body is so alive it's not work to feel the body sense the body embody Sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, but there's a there's a fullness, there's an aliveness when we're outside. And the earth is and the beings are touching us, and the winds caressing our skin, and the, and the ground is yielding under us as we lie on it. So our practice becomes full, full sensory, alive, juicy. So I think under a nature retreat we, be, we, we sort of reincarnate or we re-inhabit. You know, we tend to move up here, up into our head center most of the time and we forget about our bodies, this rich domain of ex- sensory experience. Bodies always in the present, senses in the present. We just just allow awareness to settle into our bodily, physical life, and we're here. Not a lot of work. And our animal body wakes up. Has anybody been feeling that? How your animal nature starts to wake up? A bit more live, more sensitive. You smell more, you see more, you feel more energy. The back body wakes up. I'm reading this tracking book right now, this line tracking book, and it talks about how alive when, when they find the track, they just the whole being lights up. You know, and they're tracking every nuance of grass and scent and impression in the ground, and it's like, oh, it's it's, it's an aliveness that comes. So we can feel that. And the physical world here is, is, is so beautiful, it allures us into the present, right? We don't have to, it's a lot less work. You know, usually the first day on a retreat, kind of, kind of a slog, you know, indoors. You know, it's kind of sitting and walking, sitting and walking, and it's work. You know, the mind's busy and restless and distracted and tired and grumpy and lumpy and judgy and usually, not always. And I find that so much less here. I arrive and it's like, oh, right. I'm allured into beauty, into joy, into color, into movement, into light, into fragrance, into who knows. So... So what allures you into the present today? What, 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 what invited you? What, what called you into the physical, sensory present? What brings you here? Smells, Smells right? The aromas, the fragrance, ponderosa. A mama duck and ten baby ducks. Right, hard nut, ten baby ducks. Hard nut to feel the draw of that and the, the geese and the 
The what? The bird sounds, yeah, they're just a symphony of sound. In a way, it's hard to leave the present with that symphony. It's just, oh, here, here, like mindfulness bells. Right, now skin wakes up, right? The sense of touch, sensing breeze and warmth, coolness and nuance. Moisture, dryness, aliveness, oh, mindfulness of body, sensory, visceral, contactful. And the second foundation, also very alive as we attune to the body and experience and sensation. And you know, it's a dance, it's a dance of sometimes beautiful, the, the robins singing and the grasses blowing and the river flowing and then sometimes it's the ants you know crawling and the deer flies biting and the you know the burning hot sun or the cold or discomfort or you know there's a lot of very very quickly changing experience some pleasant some unpleasant some divine some very difficult some neutral i find less neutral outside it's either Usually very pleasurable, pleasant, or very unpleasant. Some in between. So we get to sort of see, oh, this dance of experience, changing, dynamic. Right? I'm loving sitting here, and then the sun comes out, and I'm hating sitting here. And I'm, the cloud comes, and I'm loving the cloud, and I'm feeling cool and refreshed. And the sun comes out, and it's like, oh, no, I'm hot and sweaty. Why are we sitting here? Let's go to the tent. On it goes, right? We see how our mind's so fickle and malleable and, and, and impressionable and at the mercy it can be. You know, we feel very easily reactive, contracted, wanting, reaching, avoiding. So we get to work with that. Right? It's a very fertile ground to work with ease and reactivity. I noticed the the deer fly flickering around my face because when its wings were flapping, I was oh, that's a very different sensation. I'm not used to feeling that. And then I saw it on my lip. I said, oh, that's a deer fly. (laughs) Unpleasant, very unpleasant. But I'm leading the meditation. I should be very still, more unpleasant. Oh, no, more unpleasant. Oh, everyone's got their eyes closed. Okay, I'm going to flick it off. <laughs> pleasant, pleasant. <laughs> oh no, burning, itching sensation. Unpleasant, unpleasant. So I invite you to play with, with this domain of experience. I'll talk more about it tomorrow, but it's very interesting, just as we were talking earlier about the, the steadfastness of trees. What's it, what is it to sit still and steady in the midst of this kind of cacophony of experience? That's partly what practice is teaching us. Oh, can I be steady here, whether I'm loving it or intensely disliking it? Just and it's and you see how it's just fle- it just keeps going, right? just moving, passing, just like the river, you know, it's just flowing, flowing. I was teaching a nature retreat a couple of weeks ago in Colorado, and I was super cold and windy and rainy most of the retreat, and a lot of lightning and thunder and stormy and. You know, we're up high like here and somewhat exposed and I feel responsible with a group when, when the lightning comes and, you know, seeing the bolts come down and, you know, the first flicker of the thunder, I go, oh no, oh no, <laughs> here it comes, <laughs> unpleasant, unpleasant, <laughs> little fear, little anxiety, thunderclap, 
oh no, unpleasant. I mean, sometimes it's wildly pleasant. It's so amazingly powerful. And, but leading a group has a whole different flavor of responsibility. And and it's so easy to see how the, the feeling tone is not inherent in anything. Like some people were just ecstatic with the lightning and the bolts coming down. Other people were terrified. <laughs> and it's, it's very personal, very subjective. And in the moment it's changing. Sometimes the sunlight is gorgeous and sometimes it's baking and, you know, aversive. And then we get to explore the third dimension, the third foundation mindfulness of mind we see the mind and the heart and the moods and the how intimately interdependent our state of mind and heart is with our environment just notice your moods today and your states of mind and the emotions that come and gone and how they're so influenced by you know you see a hummingbird and there's oh there's glee and there's delight and then you see the mosquito and there's contraction and you see the the eagle in the sky, and there's soaring, and then the ants crawling, and no, and no, pleasant, and, and just this ebb and flow, and the mind so ephemeral and so conditioned by experience, heart so conditioned. And we get to see how the moods and the storms and the mind states, they, they, they are like weather, they blow through. You sit down in meditation, it's like this clear blue New Mexico sky day. Like, oh, what could be what could be better? What could go wrong? Sitting with a blue sky, open, spacious, happy. And then, you know, something arises because you've had such a busy, compressed life and you haven't had any space to feel anything and suddenly this whole tidal tsunami of grief arises out of the blue sky. It's like, oh my God, how, where did that come from? This grief that I've been carrying, this loss that I've been holding down suddenly just bursts through like, like, a, you know, like a quick storm passing. And we feel it and we sense it and we tend to it and it moves through and the sun comes out and we feel at ease again. And one of the beautiful things about being out here is we get to explore the more expansive domains of the heart. And then often in the busyness of our life we don't necessarily get to explore delight, you know, or joy, or rapture, or awe, or wonder, or play. Sometimes, but it's not like an everyday thing, I think, for most people, most of the time. you know, My email inbox, I don't think, has ever inspired awe, <laughs> or delight, maybe curiosity, and Mostly unpleasant emotions. <laughs> but out here there's so many uh, springboards for the heart to feel, you know, spacious and expansive. It's good medicine for the heart. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness, we explore the nature of experience, the nature the changing nature, the condition-dependent nature. We see how everything is this beautiful, intricate, inextricably woven web of life that we are intimately part of, conditioned by, influenced by. And we like to think we're so separate and individual and independent and just moved along like like these silkworms in the breeze. We're just uh, life, nature, you know, blowing us around and we kind of do our best to flow with the, where the winds blow.
So how how else are you seeing that being here supports your your mindfulness, supports awareness? How does being in nature support your being present? Well, I'll leave that. I'll leave that for you as an inquiry, but just notice how naturally, effortlessly you're drawn. Often externally, we're drawn to the beauty, to the soundscape, to the wind and light and sun, but also how it evokes qualities within us. And I think one of the most striking qualities that arises in contrast to most of our lives, I mean, maybe you have a very peaceful, quiet, harmonious, easeful life. I'm sure some of you maybe do. I'm not seeing too many nodding, but I imagine somebody here might have. But one of the contrasts I feel, I, I notice immediately when I come out to the woods, to the mountains particularly, is the quality of peace. Right? For all the amazing technological, scientific advances of human so-called civilization, not many of them lead to peace. <laughs> they might lead to interesting you know, things, but not to peace. Is AI making anybody more peaceful? Is your phone technology making you more calm? Is your computer making you more, feel a sense of well-being? Not so much. Entertaining and, you know, useful and amazing what they can do and helpful and functional and necessary, but, you know, come outside and there's just a sense of peacefulness, like the the natural world seems to exude a sense of beingness, presence, ease. And it's very interesting that you know, as a, as a species, you know, this is this is home right here. This is what we used to um, live and be immersed in. This was our, the fabric of our life. We weren't. There was no word for nature. It was we were we were not separate. And there was, you know, probably intense survival issues, intense dealing with, you know, the challenges of survival and food and shelter and all of that. But I also imagine pervading that at times at least, just like we're feeling, you know, at times here, you know, great peace, ease. Calm, tranquility. And the Buddha talked about these two about um I forget that. Um you know, just how important tranquility is in, in, in life, but also in meditation and our well-being and our practice. And, and what do you do in your life to cultivate tranquility? It's an interesting question. It's a very important quality. Tranquility, peace, calm. Right? Without that, you know, a lot of things are very, not very uh, easy or doable. And so we're putting ourselves in nature's way and letting her influence and, and, and saturate us. In most of our lives, what, what's saturating us is people, urban living, and technology. And that doesn't quite have such the same resonance in our nervous system. It leads to agitation, restlessness, revving up. So we come out into nature and the vagus nerve, our parasympathetic nervous system starts to come online, starts to feel engaged, we feel more ease, more 
relax, just like in the lying meditation. Oh, it's like, oh, the earth can can absorb, can take, can receive some of our angst. Next time you have a wave of anxiety or restlessness, lie on the earth, put your belly on the ground. Lean into a tree, hug a tree. Not for the hugging, but for the full frontal connection of your your nervous system with the tree's nervous system. It's calming. Or a rock, like these beautiful river rocks, when they're warmed in the sun, go lie on them. You know, just embrace them, feel their welcoming. So, tranquility. I'm just going to name some of these qualities partly to to invite you to pay attention to them as you are here because when we pay it, when we acknowledge a quality it usually allows it to flourish right? when we notice tranquility or calm so, oh right I'm feeling quite relaxed I'm feeling quite easeful that itself can often induce more relaxation Just as you're lying on the earth and you notice how softening it can be, yielding. Ah, right, softening. And we feel it in our nervous system. So we're creating here the supportive conditions for presence, for awareness, for meditation. Another quality is spaciousness. We're, We're underneath this vast sky. This vast spaciousness. It's beautiful being in the mountains, especially if you walk up a hill somewhere, one of these ridges, and see, oh, this spaciousness. I was guiding you in that practice, standing, being aware of the space behind you. It's a way of inducing that quality of spaciousness. Anybody feel that? As you feel into the dimensionality of space? So, oh, right. I'm abiding in space, spaciousness. Which again is often not so available in the confine of our life or in the confine of our indoor living. This just naturally, there's something, there's something, because our nervous system and awareness is not separate from, from what's around us. So, as as we take the lid off the roof of our, you know, we take we remove the the ceiling. Suddenly, there's like oh, awareness expands into the vastness. Just like when you look at the night sky, there's a sense of vastness, spaciousness. And then the quality of stillness. Right? These are all beautiful meditative qualities. Like this morning is why I have you slept up the hill, even though it's a bit of a Walking, you know, especially for us low-level, not low-level, sea-levelers, lowlanders, um, you know, walking up the hill, it's first day is actually not so easy, even though it doesn't seem like a hill. It's you feel it in your lungs, but to feel the stillness of the mountain, the stillness of the meadow, stillness, stillness of sound. Right? When we when we leave the sound of the river. For me, anyway, I think for maybe for many, it's easier to attune to a deeper quality of silence and stillness. And again, as we aware, present, we feel, oh, right, that stillness is not separate from me. The, I can sense that stillness within me or influencing me or becoming me. Again, there's a contrast for maybe the restlessness we might be feeling or the agitatedness. Is this making sense? Are you resonating with these qualities? Right? I'm just kind of pointing out what it's kind of obvious what I'm pointing to. It's not esoteric. <laughs> and not always available. There's nothing's permanent, nothing's always available. But we can begin to tune into these qualities, just like the quality of of joy. One of the 
Brahma Viharas, these divine abodes of the heart, the capacity of the heart to delight, to delight, as Beth was saying, with the, the ducklings and the, the goslings, baby geese, goslings. Um, I mean, how can you not feel delight at the mothers, you know, and the papas just tending them and they're just you know, playing and flexing their wings and, and the hummingbird and the nesting birds and the sound of the woodpecker and it just delights the heart. Again, a very important quality, delight. Right? We live in a very negatively oriented world. We have a negativity bias. We have a negative media. And the world orients towards, mostly towards what's wrong. And there's a lot of things that are not that, that are beautiful, that are mysterious, that are inducing of joy and delight, like the sound of the robin is just... For me, it's just delight. And it's a great poem from Jack Gilbert called A Brief of the Defense, where he's talking about the suffering in the world. And then he says, you know, but why would the Bengal tiger be made so fine? He says, and he goes on later on in the poem, he says, we, um, we can do without pleasure, but not delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight. We must risk delight in the ruthless furnace of the world. We must risk delight. As in, we must take mm, that moment, opportunity, invitation to feel delight. Right? It's... it's just like awe, it's one of those very essential human qualities. It's one of the things that connects us as a species to feel a commonality of delight, like we can do in the in the baby ducklings, or if we see a fawn or a hummingbird. There's many things that evoke this very human soaring of the heart. It's a beautiful thing to to feel delight. You know, what's watching the full moon, you know, come up from behind the, the ridge here and out of the clouds. And what I love about needing to pee here in the middle of the night, which is pretty common at altitude, and is looking up at the sky. Last night it was the moon. Often it's just this crazy, wild panorama over the stars and the Milky Way and the light. There's another poem from, uh, this is from, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, Billy Collins, and he, he's talking about love, but at I, I, his, his, some point in the poem he says something like, My heart is like a tripod standing in a field waiting for the next arrow. My heart is on a tripod standing in a field waiting for the next arrow, waiting for Cupid's next arrow. But I think of that with, with delight, like, you know, our heart's presence, awareness is, is, yeah, just like open like a camera lens waiting for the next impression to delight us. To, you know. But of course we have to, as the saying goes in Vegas, we have to be present to win. We have to be present to even notice the birdsong, the ducklings, the light, the grasses swaying, the beetles, the iridescent flies. So, and as you notice things that touch your heart, whether it's visual, auditory, flactory, tactile, to let yourself take it in. Yeah, maybe you're looking, gazing at the rusty gold of a ponderosa bark, and, or you're smelling it, or you're looking at the clouds forming, or whatever it is, the stillness on the pond. And when, when something touches you and evokes that delight, let yourself 
bathe in it. Let yourself uh, savor it, as Rick Hansen, the psychologist, talks about. So take 20 or 30 seconds and just breathe with it. Breathe into that quality. Let it, let it saturate you. And the Buddha, when he was talking about the second jhana, he said the meditator, um, their body is suffused and permeated by joy and rapture, born of, born of contentment, born of seclusion. And it lets the body be permeated by joy and rapture. This is part of this path, even though there's a lot of emphasis in Buddhist teachings on dukkha. The Buddha was also very familiar with joy and love and delight, rapture, bliss. Not that that's the end of the path, but it's an important part of being human, especially as a counterpoint to our stress-oriented world and mind. And for me, the natural sort of follow-on from, from delight is awe or wonder. I mean, just, the, just, the, just the magnificence of life, but also the mystery of life. Like how fecund this meadow is. It's six months under snow. Harsh, cold conditions. And then come May, you know, thawing. And then June, this flourishing, and July, this flowering, blossoming. It's just remarkable how life, how prolific, how timely, how intelligent, how beautiful. And so that I think the awe sometimes comes by slowing down and by attending closely to things. Sometimes it's by the vastness, we lying down at night, gazing at the night sky, and there's a sense of awesomeness of the vastness, of the unfathomability of the immensity of life. But someone was telling me about a particular kind of, what I'm calling a silkworm, it's probably not, it was a, a caterpillar on these threads from a pine tree and winding their way up slowly, infinitesimally slowly up the tree. And just how life lives and evolves and will eventually become a moth and fly and pollinate and flower. And it's wild. Mysterious. And so the awe takes us into mystery, another very powerful quality. The mystery of life, the mystery that there's anything here at all. The mystery that we can be aware of it. The mystery that we are the earth incarnated as a human body aware of itself. We are the earth aware of itself. The earth and all of its profound intelligence that's created this incredible complexity of billions of species, millions of species. Out of what? Out of rock. Out of rock. Somehow out of rock and moisture and elements, minerals. I was just reading uh, yes, the other day about how there's one hypothesis that life came from clay, that actually sparked from clay. And we might look at clay and go, it's just mud. <laughs> it's just dirt. But it's like, it's like the genesis of life. Soil. And of course, there's many other ways our heart is touched in ways that are also very wholesome. And we'll be sharing about the different dimensions of the heart of love, joy, compassion. And to also notice when the heart's moved. When you, when you feel 
fondness, affection, tenderness, compassion, love, appreciation, gratitude, right? All these different ways the heart blooms. Very healthy, very healthy. It's like we're, um, you know, we're nature bathing. We're nature bathing. All these beautiful, wholesome qualities. You know, again, one of the reasons I started teach practicing out in nature and then teaching out in nature is because I realized that all of these qualities that Buddhism and other wisdom teachings were pointing to were just so available outside, so accessible. Nature has so much to teach us about what feels like so human qualities, but really more than human. Also sensing into the quality of simplicity. I mentioned that before, but how often feels like things get very simple outside, very clear, very less convoluted. I'm thinking of that line by T.S. Eliot. A state of complete simplicity, costing nothing less than everything. A state of complete simplicity. And so you might feel into how your experience out here gets very simple. Or is simple. And then how the mind complicates it. Notice how the mind... Because this is like, the, like being outside. It's like this blank canvas. And then we see what we do with it, you know. Like maybe we get stressed about which kind of hike we're going to take. You know, which guy, up river, down river, I don't know, I don't know. Like up river, but down river is cool, I don't know. You know, oh, you know, the, we look up, we were going on a hike, and then we look at the clouds, oh, it's going to rain, it's going to cool, and no, I should bring my layers, and oh, I don't want to forget something. And we just, you know, it's like we get very busy, you know, and we get very unsimple. <laughs> we get very complicated. So letting these qualities uh, inform you, touch you, no, I'm pointing to some quite a lot of qualities both in the in the external, stillness, spaciousness, beauty, vastness, simplicity, but how they, you know, how we're because of that interwovenness of our nature, just to feel into how these qualities come alive, how nature sort of reminding us, oh, right, tranquility, oh, simplicity, non-doing.
Okay, well, maybe that's enough words as the woodpecker starts pecking. So, thank you for your attention. These words dissolve into the silence. And so, uh, it's dinner time and uh, six o'clock. So, we'll have dinner and then we'll have meditation at what time is it? 7.15 I think? 7? Anybody remember what time the meditation is? I think it's 7. 7.45? Oh yeah, that late. Oh, 6.30? Oh wow. Alright, well it's not dinner time. Really? Oh, are they? Oh. Alright. Well, I was looking at the wrong schedule. I gave them two schedules, and I guess they chose that one. That makes more sense, but anyhow. Uh, Yeah, the first few days will be the same. I mean, the schedule's sort of the same all every day, but the last day and a half is a lot more solo time. So, um, so apparently we have a little time. I'm not going to talk anymore. You'll be relieved. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.